Uh, hello, everybody. This is Shift M Podcast, our next episode, and we have a special guest, Jennifer Britton, uh, who is a writer, a coach, a trainer, a blogger, a book writer. Jennifer, present yourself. Say a few words about yourself, please. <laughs> well, thanks for having me. First of all, great to connect. And I have spent the better part of the last 30 years working with teams and groups all over the world. I have a very rich uh, past life as a leader within the global sector, but for the last 15 years, I've been running my own business, Potentials Realized, out of Canada. I work with clients around the world to help them uh, with better conversations, whether it's helping a virtual team uh, you know, really get the results they want, or whether it is working with a healthcare team in a hospital. So that's a little bit about me. I'm an author, I'm a coach, uh, I'm a Jill of all trades because that's how I started out as a leader myself. I worked for the UN and with global complexity today, you know, we don't just uh, ever have skills in one area. We have cross-cutting skills, hopefully. Wow, that's great. And you're right now in Toronto. Yeah, a little north of Toronto. So I wow. make Canada my home now. And uh, as I said, though, I get to work with people all over the world thanks to technology. So in any given day, like today, you know, crossing the world time zone to time zone. That's awesome. So the subject we decided to pick for today's discussion is uh, herd instinct. Is it, is it the, we can use that word in English because it's, it, it, we have that in Russian, but do you have that in English? Uh, yeah, you know, it was funny. I heard instinct. I was, when I first read that, I thought, okay, I better go look for the official writing. And it took me back to some writing of Freud back uh -huh. in the 1920s. But, you know, the way I'm interpreting it is how do we, how do we really work with, you know, any entity, team or group, uh, when everyone's thinking the same? Is that what you had in mind for our conversation today? Yes, exactly. That's the problem, actually, where people are, where the people in the team, they tend to follow the majority instead of thinking independently. And that's, mm -hmm. in, in some cases, that's good. In, in some cases, it's not very good. So that's going to be my questions, a lot of questions about your experience and how you deal with that. And do you have that? Have you seen that? Uh, absolutely. It's a really rich area. I think, you know, you have organizations and teams across the spectrum, some that are very set in a herd mindset and others that have learned to work outside of it. So really looking forward to our, our conversation today. So, so what do you think, what do you think in general, that's my first general question. So what do you think in general, do we need, well, is it a problem? Do you, do you see a problem where people actually, instead of thinking independently, they, they, they just follow the majority and just say, whatever everybody says, I'm going to just confirm that. Well, you know, we live in a world where there's a tremendous diversity, <laughs> so I never say never. Um, I think, again, you, you see the spectrum. You see the spectrum of organizations that fight against the tides of change and, and want to all think in the same boat, yet in today's world of complexity and change, I think we really need to foster diverse perspectives in a let me say it in a respectful way, right? We, we need innovative thinking and innovative thinking comes from having diverse views, diverse vantage points, diverse skills. Uh, the challenge I think today for most organizations is how do we find enough common ground to do that respectfully and effectively? Mm -hmm. But you know, when it's a team, when you definitely deal with project managers, right? Mm -hmm. People who yeah. manage teams. And I think for them, I'm also a project manager. I when the team, when the team, let's say, 10 people in the team and everybody has its own opinion and everybody is trying to uh, somehow not maybe fight with me, but argue with me when in every, in every point, 
then it makes it really difficult for me to manage such a team, right? Absolutely. Sometimes, sometimes I do need them just to follow what I said and just do it because, you know, because I say so. Yeah, well, that, that's the leader's challenge, right? How do you provide structure, direction, yet allow space for people to bring their best talents to work? And that's, that's a little different, too, than her mentality. Um, so there's, there's a really wide range that we can talk in today in terms of how do we help teams do their best work, uh, you know, really allow you as leader, as project lead, to set the course of direction, but also ensure that there's enough diversity that exists so that you, you really bring your projects in on scope, time, and budget, right? Ultimately, that's what we want to do. And so if the team is stuck, that's where we often find some of the, the challenges in getting projects completed. And have you seen, maybe you can give some practical, some real examples, have you seen situations where people are, uh, where people, that when the team is not progressing, when the project mm -hmm. is not running as it has to, because there's not enough innovative thinking inside the team? For sure. And, you know, I think I'll also preface this from my former world of work in the project and program realm. We, as project teams, don't operate in a vacuum, right? We work through a, a network of stakeholders that also are sort of tangential, but bringing it down to our own team, um, you know, yes, how do we find, what, what do we do when projects aren't running? And that's where we really need to take a step back and look not only at interpersonal dynamics, uh, but also the results, right? Teams excel when they can focus on the results. So we need to go back to the drawing board. If we look at the, the research of teams, is there a clear vision? Do we have clear goals? Do we understand how my goal and my work plan interfaces with your work plan? And as project cycles have become ramped up across all industries in the last several years and decades, how do we ensure the team can run quickly uh, without getting in its own way. And I think, you know, we, we, across industries, we no longer have luxury of time. So, you know, whether it's intentional or not, people are tripping over each other. And as leaders, I think the, the role of the project manager is becoming so much more team-oriented than it used to be uh, years ago, where it's really about managing workflow. Now there's so much workflow plus team dynamics and how do we help the team uh, learn to work together, understand how team member A impacts B and, and getting that done in a very short cycle of time. You said team oriented. What, what does it exactly mean? And what's, what's the, what, is the, what is on the opposite side? If on, if on one side there is team orientation, what's on the other side? I would say, you know, in its most extreme, individual orientation. So are you operating... And I see this a lot in my work across industries. You have a group of people, a collection of people that call themselves a team, but they're really not a team. They're a collection of individuals. So that's what I would term as the extremes. And, you know, teams, if we really look at them in their totality, is what are they bound by? Are they all working in the same direction? Are they shared by that or bound by that common purpose and mission? Um, are they really, you know, working for the same end game or end result or are they just being lumped together because it's a quote-unquote project or initiative and who defines this orientation the project manager or everybody in the team i think it's the project manager the team the organization even right we you know from a, a macro lens how is the organization also holding teams um is it is it compensating people as individual contributors yet asking them to be a team <laughs> that's a whole other layering of this 
uh, beyond herd mentality. So I think, you know, as with anything, um, and when I say as with anything in teams, everything's interconnected, right? It can be interconnected if that's the way we're going to look at it. But is this organization looking at things through a systems lens of interconnectivity? Or is the organization really, uh, you know, a whole series of silos, which is a whole different way of operating? Mm -hmm. So if on one side we have individual orientation where everybody, like you said, is driven by individual personal motivational factors, which could be money or could be something else. And on the left, on another side, we have team orientation where, what, what do we have there? How do we motivate people to work? Well, you know, if, if we look out and, and think of your own experience in, in projects, you know, projects are teams, I think, and we, we will all still be motivated at differing levels by different things. But when you're really in that team, you're, you're aiming towards the same end result and you want to get that result. So let's say it's a, a you know, an in infrastructure project to get a road built. You know, the end result is getting that road done on time, scope and budget. Uh, why are people motivated for that? Could be multiple reasons there, but are they connecting their motivation to the end result enough so that we're able to pull together and, and, and again, going back to stakeholders, you know, how do we enroll others externally, other partners into the vision as well? So I think some of that then you asked me a few minutes ago, is it the team, is it the project manager? I think, you know, the team definitely needs to, it, it, is, is, is in, a, in full ownership of this, but they're also looking to the project manager to take the lead on, on setting the context, on inspiring the vision, on encouraging people to you know, connect what they're motivated by, why they're motivated with the bigger picture. Mm -hmm. And how can we do that if I'm a project manager? I'm thinking about my personal work. So when you're yeah. saying that, I'm trying how it reflects on my experience. So what do I do with the team? I have mm -hmm. like, say, five programmers and uh, yeah. I know what to do with them on the, on, with them on the individual level. I can, I can talk to each of them and say, okay, here's the scope for your work. And when you complete that scope, you're going to get that amount of some benefits. I don't know, some of your words. Mm -hmm. and if you, but you're suggesting to look at this group as a team. And then how do I communicate with them? How do they define their goals? Yeah, you know, and, and I think this is a great question. And, you know, one of the additional questions we want to ask is, is their work interdependent with each other? Oh, definitely. Yeah. 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 So again, like I think a starting point, <laughs> and it's multiple layers here, right? It doesn't happen overnight. But one of the starting points, too, is helping people see how I might work with you and work with Sujit on the team and, and how my work really is interconnected. Because I think if we see ourselves as individual contributors, then, you know, that's our motivation. We don't see the bigger picture. So the leader's role, as much as the leader's role is changing, I think it's always been helping people see the bigger picture. When I worked for global organizations, my role as a program director, as a program manager, was to help people see the bigger picture, to help people connect in with how does my work here in X country connect with someone in Y country. And so it is about talking beyond the, the practical, tactical, this is what we need to get done today, but helping them see the bigger picture of the scope. And part of that is connection, you know, virtual teams, intact teams, whether we're face-to-face -face or virtual, a lot of this comes down to communication and making sure that we have ways that are meaningful for the, for the context we operate within, 
um, to make sure that we, we do see those connections and we have feedback loops across the, the members of the team. So you were saying that if we have a group of programmers sitting and working on some uh, software package in, I don't know, in China, and then, but that's definitely a part of a bigger project. So if we go to that group and, and tell them what is the overall, you know, goal of the bigger project they are working on, where that particular mo software package will be used, they will care about that information and that will motivate them? Not necessarily, but they need to understand why am I being asked to do X by Y period, right? Like, why is it so essential for me to get that code? And I have to say, I haven't never worked in IT. <laughs> it's oh. not my area of expertise. I've not led projects in this arena. But, you know, what, what, how does my work connect to the bigger picture? If I think I have all the time in the world to get to the milestone, um, without understanding how my work connects to the bigger picture, it's very hard for me to, you know, even care at times, right? Why am I doing this? Am I just working in my little bubble or am I working and connecting with others? Well, you're, you're speaking now about yourself or you know that from the experience so by interviewing some teams and knowing it from the, I don't know, some research so what do you think? Is it so, like I, so I was a team leader for 15 years, right? Mm -hmm. I've worked in healthcare and education in uh, infrastructure projects. Mm -hmm. And so whether you're an engineer, a GIS specialist, a doctor, a nurse, uh, you know, a, a general support, uh, we need to understand how does my work impact with others? So, you know, it's, it's, so Unless you, let's, say, I, let's say you're a nurse, like you're a nurse or there's a group of, of, of doctors and nurses in one department of the hospital. So mm -hmm. do they need to know how their work actually affects the overall metrics of the entire hospital or not? So if you look to Lean Six Sigma, they would say absolutely. At some level, whether it's macro or micro, how does my work impact overall project flow? Mm -hmm. So, you know, but, again, we could split hairs on <laughs> what the exact scenario is, but I think if we look back to the writing in the 1990s of Kalzenbach and Smith, teams operate and are efficient when they have shared vision, shared mission, when they understand why they exist. We can flash forward to the early 2000s and the writing of Simon Sinek. You know, it starts with why. Why do we exist? What's the purpose to show up at work every day? And you have a big difference between engaged organizations and disengaged organizations. So, so again, that needs to be part of the, the dialogue as well. What type of organization are you working with? How are people motivated? Is it money? Is it, is it mastery? Is it purpose? Those are all different drivers for team members today. Aha, so now we're getting to the point where we define different types of teams. So on some teams, people may be, like you said, money-driven or uh, mastery-driven. And for them, or for some of them, maybe for some teams, uh, this vision, this purpose may not be as important as for other teams. Did I get Absolutely. it right? Absolutely. Uh -huh. Yeah. And again, you know, going back to your example of leading a team of programmers, they, you know, they're going to be driven by different things as well. Uh, is it speed? Is it efficiency? Is it getting this, you know, is it getting this code completed faster than the other people? Am I being compensated on an hourly rate? Am I being compensated on a project rate? And that can vary tremendously across the globe as well. So the other piece that I think makes it even more complex and not 
crystal clear, right? You'll, you'll notice I'm like balking at even saying it's this way because it's not this way in any industry right now. Is this a team that's operating in one geographic location or globally? Those all layer multiple levels of complexity for leadership. Oh, that's true. And you know, uh, I work mostly with programmers and, and very often people complain about the situation with this, uh, uh, with the management, which uh, most probably read some books about motivation. And instead of defining clear and explicit goals for individual programmers and defining their, you know, the connection between their results and their rewards, they are just uh, trying to feed them with the you know, big ideas and the purpose and the vision, which is, which is not a replacement for the clear instructions and the clear, you know, definition of task. And programmers complain about that. They're just saying that instead of telling us exactly what needs to be done and how that results will affect my personal, you know, uh, benefits, then you just give us the global vision, which is too vague for us to understand. And, and it's not really a replacement. So have you seen that or... Oh, yes. And, and I think, again, that's a cross-sectoral issue. You know, for different people at different levels, what is the most important driver? You know, we, we do need the vision, but does that vision get communicated to different people in different ways, depending on their, their own orbit and their own scope? And, you know, what a lot of this in our conversation right now, we're really pointing to, you know, the individualism of each person in addition to their role. Are they clear about their role? Um, are they also getting to loop into other team members. We often talk about something called the six factors of you know, team effectiveness. It's also about having like communication vehicles between team members. Um, so maybe if I'm hearing a message from you as my leader, I interpret it one way, but if I now hear that same message from a peer, it may come across as, as also really different because they're now translating it through their, their lens or their perspective. So again, you know, Going back to team versus individual, are we also building in opportunities for the team members to get together, whether it's virtual or face-to-face? -face, you know, it doesn't matter. We need to have a conversation, though, somehow, to share information, share, you know, rules. How, how is my work impacting yours? How am I getting in the way of your project completion as well? And have you seen situations where people are where uh, actually saying that they don't need to know that they want they don't want to hear about the the this, you know motivational speeches and everything they just want to do their job and get back home? Absolutely, you know, and and we have a, a world of solopreneurs, <laughs> you know, <laughs> solopreneurs or individual entrepreneurs. There's so many options in today's world of what kind of workplace context you want to work within. What do, you think, what do you think is going to be the future of the world? Let's look like forward for 20 or 30 years. So how the world will look? Will it be the world of entrepreneurs, individuals, or the world of teams and groups? That's such a great question, Yuri. I'm not really sure on that, but I think the world will continue to get more global. Um, people who want to work in teams will have to have competency to work within teams right? It's, it's different to work in a team today, a team that's changing every two weeks versus, you know, 20 years ago, teams that were together for years, right? And if you look to some of the writing, um, you know, in my, my line of work, we refer a lot to Amy Edmonston out of Harvard. And Amy has studied, you know, she calls it teaming, this rapid cycle of team development, um, which is just, you know, even from where we were 10, 20 years ago, that's much more commonplace today than it was. And so if we 
look to what the future might bring with all of the changes globally, it'll be very interesting to think what, what teams, what the workplace even can be, and what skills are not just leaders, but are all team, like, again, look at my language, <laughs> but if you are working with others, what skills do you need to have in order to work with others, whether it's a team or a group? And I think years ago, people could live in their little box, right? But today, for a variety of reasons, whether it's budget, workflow, uh, you know, virtual and remote teams, like we need to work with others. We can only do work on our own so far before we do have to reach out and, and work with others. And I work a lot with remote professionals, you know, I will sort of put that on the table. And, you know, even as remote professionals, well, remote professionals can do as much as they want on their own. The challenge today is how do I build relationships to become more effective so that I can get the information, the tools and resources to do my work effectively. It's they're having to look outside. And, and that changed because of what? How do you think? So why 20 years ago we had a different picture and now we have what you're saying we're having now? Because Well, yeah, you know, at that t so 20 years ago, I was not living here in Canada. So uh, it's interesting to think, you know, I can only see certain changes, but I think what I've seen in North America since coming back to North America is just a whole, you know, wage compression, budget compression, international economics. I think for some organizations, they have really, you know, learned to leverage technology and use, you know, virtual relationships as a way to harness the best, bring the best people together without physically having to bring them together. Um, and that's, that's an opportunity we didn't have, you know, 20 years ago, if you had met me, I would be logging 156 days a year on a plane or a train or in an automobile. Today, I do most of my work virtually. I do the same work different impact, but I don't have to travel like I did. So, you know, technology has also afforded us some really amazing opportunities. I like to look at it as an opportunity, but it also requires that people work in different ways, which is some organizations have embraced it and some organizations haven't. And I think that those organizations who, who won't manage to embrace it, they will fail somehow, right, in the future. Time, time will tell, right? Time will mm -hmm. tell. Um, if you look at, you know, writing like people from Jim Collins, good to, good to great and built to last, it'll be interesting to have more researchers like his team looking at what really is helping teams excel, what is helping organizations excel um, in the longer term. Is technology a really important part of the puzzle? Is learning how to collaborate work across differences. So again, going back to the whole notion of like herd instinct, you know, herd instinct presupposes that, you know, everyone's going to think the same way. With technology, because we're working across geographic boundaries, industry boundaries, we recognize quite quickly that we all bring different skills to the table. If we can't figure out a way to make that work, we fail. If we can make, figure out a way to make that work, we can really succeed. And I, I use the collective we because this is what I see in teams and organizations across the world right now. Either organizations try it for a while and for whatever reason, can't make it work. People can't make it work. Territorialism, other things. Or you have others that recognize, you know what? I'll bring my best, you bring your piece. Together we can put it together. 
they need to be very specific on outcomes. So going back to your comments earlier around goals, really, why are we doing this? What's the driving force? Mm -hmm. You know, I'll give you some statistics and I would like to hear your comments about that. Uh, in the IT world, in the world of programmers and the IT engineers, uh, every year, well, right now, an average programmer, software engineer, changes the job every, every single calendar year. I can imagine, yeah. So that's really frequently. It didn't happen 10 years ago. It definitely didn't happen 20 years ago. So now we're, we're dealing with a situation where people, you know, are completely disloyal, <laughs> we can put it this way. So they don't stay with the one company for longer, approximately for longer than a year. So does it seem like individualism is coming up and, and, it's, and it's trying and starting to dominate in this, in this industry? I'm not sure about other industries. You know, it's interesting. And while I think the, the, the windows of change uh, may not be a year, I think across industries, just the, the portability of careers and the portability of roles and jobs is changing dramatically. And so this is where the savvy leader, whether it's a, a project manager in IT, a project manager in uh, healthcare, a project manager in infrastructure development has, plays a key role, is you know, on a multiple set of layers. So how does he or she help that new person orient, understand the team culture or culture they're stepping into, organizational culture is what I mean, how we do things here. Um, are the, you know, are, are the team, are all the members understanding how they operate? What are the expectations? Is the expectation that you are gonna loop others into the, the loop or you're gonna work in these little packets? Um, what are our goals? So going back to some of these fundamentals that we've been touching on in, the, in the, the conversation so far, that's where I think the leaders are also being called forward to make sure that they're, you know, while it's an investment of time early on, it's, it, it makes it much easier um, in the long term. And I saw this in my former career. I was in a role as a leader three to 36 months. That was all I had in my location. If I was not building capacity at the local level or with the local team, I would fail. That was, you know, I would not be promoted to the next level. And with rapid cycles of teaming, we, it's a different way of working, right? And, and so to your point exactly, you know, if these are the stats that are showing up in IT, what does that mean in terms of how project teams need to come together, need to communicate, need to be able to run effectively. Because you can only push it for so long before something will really break down, right? And I'm sure you see that in your work. You have teams that can make it work, leaders that can make it work, regardless of who they're having to work with. Mm -hmm. I can give you a quote, actually, in one article I read recently. It says, uh, again, it gives the statistics and demonstrates that people change their jobs quite frequently. And then it says, workers, I quote, Workers who stay with the company longer than two years are said to get paid 50% less. Wow. <laughs> so it, yes, you see, so it seems that now we have to change jobs. It's not just mm -hmm. we want to, but we have to do that in order to, to make as much as we deserve. So people who don't do that, they are getting paid less, and that means that they are less uh, professionals, less professional engineers. If this which, you know, it speaks to something that, you know, around industries, HR has been talking about the need for like, you know, taking charge of your own career, doing the professional development. I think this is where for 
anyone at any level, you know, how are you building your skill base? How are you seeking out projects, programs that are going to help you grow as a professional, things that you can take, skills that, you, that can be portable for you, whether you're at that organization for another year or another three years. But I think it's a, it's a reframing, too, of how we approach our work. And some of that can go to meaning. Some of that can go to revenue, too, right? Like, there's different drivers. Yeah. <laughs> Do we want to enjoy our work? Do we want to, you know, push hard in our careers for a decade, for a few years? Those are all decisions we can make. Mm -hmm. And uh, 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 the, uh, the, the herd instinct. So when I stay mm -hmm. in the team, when I stay in the group, then I, according to the statistics, so I have to constantly think about what my next, what's my next step and how can I, what should I do in order to go against the team, in order to quit the team and, and then pick the, the different team now. So it seems that uh, the time of people who are individually, individual thinkers mm -hmm. is coming because you cannot, you know, if you, if you think like everybody else, you're going to stay in one team for longer and longer and then you're going to lose eventually. So you're not mm -hmm. move from one team to another. You have to think independently, it looks to me. The statistics demonstrate that. For sure. And I think, again, this is where savvy, savvy leaders, you know, encourage what we often call as constructive dialogue or constructive interaction. It's no surprise that books like Radical Candor by Kim Scott and others are, you know, on the New York sellers bestsellers time list for a long time because... I think this is an area we all struggle with, whether it's financial services or healthcare, education or IT. How do we have difficult but respectful conversations so that we have a safe space to bring an oppositional point of view in a way that is productive, but also is in a way that we're not necessarily following the pack, um, which is really what herd instinct is. And we know that you know, for a variety of reasons, we need, we need that innovation. Workforces, industries need innovation right now more than ever. So as leaders, we need to, uh, again, going back to Amy Edmonston, she writes a lot about psychological safety. Um, you know, Google, Google recently looked at their project alpha, what made teams excel and teams that could constructively interact excelled but they needed to have quote unquote what Edmonston calls psychological safety they needed to know that they were not going to be you know they were not going to be losing their job for something they said in contradiction and when you have cultures of fear rather than cultures of constructive dialogue um, people will go with the herd because they're scared for a variety of reasons they're not wanting to uh, you know, do anything else because they will lose their job. They will be, you know, there will be retribution in some way, shape or form. And what would you recommend for a project manager uh, in that aspect? So what to do in order to encourage people to think individually, but still stay within the frames of, I don't know, discipline, if I may yeah, use that word or. For yeah. Sure. yeah. You know, and again, I think this is where we can draw on a variety of different resources um, this is where, you know, from helping the team have a common framework for having these difficult conversations. I, I, in my own work, I see a lot of it boils down to, I'd love to offer an alternative perspective, but if I do, I'm going to be shut down because people don't need to receive it or don't know how to receive it. And I also don't know how to share that. So whether it's using frameworks that already exist, you know, difficult conversations, 
radical candor. These are all, you know, different resources that people can tap into. We need to start the conversation and we need to be modeling it as, as leaders as well. So if we're not demonstrating that with our own superiors in an organization, how can we ask a team to be, you know, candid or, or, you know, bring an oppositional vantage point if we're always saying yes to certain things as well. So modeling in an organization is really important. How are we modeling it? How are we getting skills? How are we equipping the team with skills? And what happens if somebody goes against the, the team and against the will of the project manager somehow, against some you know, fundamental beliefs and, and points? Then what do we do? And do you have any like real examples? Can you can you show what? So yeah, so you know what you're pointing us to is you know there is there are uh, performance issues (laughs) versus personal issues. So is this a performance issue? And I think a lot of times we get really mixed up. Oh, I can't offer that feedback, but you know what? Yes, you can because this is a performance issue. So I continue to point or I work with back to the amazing writing of Robert Mager, M-A-G-E-R. He did a lot of work in the performance improvement realm, 70s, 80s, and 90s, and he has a whole model called the performance tree. And it really starts to break down, why are you seeing performance issues? You know, is this person just trying to be difficult? Or is there a reason because goals aren't clear? Or the person doesn't have resourcing or other? So I think we want to avoid or we want to be, we want to think through, you know, when we see divergent ideas, divergent ideas does not mean a performance issue, but there can be cultures that anyone who goes against the herd becomes that, you know, performance issue that needs to be performance managed. Um, Divergent thinking does not equal bad performance, if that makes sense. So Let's let's go to you again. You know your context. What might a what might an IT team issue, herd issue, look like? Is it everyone saying yes to the project leader? What might the the herd mechanism look like in IT right now for programmers? Well, the biggest problem is that uh, in IT we have uh, we constantly have technical conflicts. Aside from personal stuff, which is uh, professional teams don't usually have a lot, but we have technical conflicts, meaning that one person thinks that this is the right way to do this technical mm-hmm. stuff, and somebody else thinks differently, and then they clash and they and they start, you know, having the the discussion. And then the question is uh, usually, unfortunately, uh, the question uh, the decision is made by the team and uh, by the majority. So who supports who? So if the majority supports one person, then the other person loses. And it's not really good because uh, good technical decisions sometimes get uh, not enough support by, because people just vote for the friend. Yes. They just, yeah. you know, they just want to stay with the team. They drink beer with this guy and they just want to say, we just, they just want to support the friend. Instead, uh-huh. of thinking, instead of thinking what's really technically important, instead of saying, I don't know, I'm not going to support anyone because I'm not an expert. So leave me alone. Just, you know, decide it between yourself. They just together. I've seen it many times personally. So I've seen that when you cannot fight, you cannot fight with the majority because there, if there are like 15 people in the group and then 10 of them say that Michael is right, then mm-hmm. it's almost impossible to do anything because everybody in the top management and on top of the group, they will look at the group and, and they cannot also go against the majority. 
Yeah, exactly. Because going back to your one of your original questions or statements, because they've opened up the the space for participation, you know, in a participatory decision versus should the leader be making the decision in this instance, right? Yep, exactly. Yeah, and now that you know. Say that again. And that's a problem, you know, for, for the management, for, for team, for everything, for projects. For everyone, yeah. It's, yeah. you know, it's a question of when do I invi invite input as a leader and when is it important for me to take the responsibility of making a decision? And I think across industries, this is, this is a, a challenge for new and experienced leaders. Am I leading at the appropriate times? Am I setting up these cycles time and time again, which are creating more, you know, mm -hmm. sounds like that team is in, a, in a, is in its own cycle. You know, they're going to keep voting the same way <laughs> because they're friends. They just keep supporting the same person. Yeah. They, and, yeah. Then, and then it turns into politics. So people, exactly. instead, of, instead of earning technical knowledge and expertise, they just, uh, you know, fight for the territory. Yeah. And, and that yeah. everybody suffers in the end. So I blame, I blame project managers in this case. <laughs> well, I think, and, but it's very easy to fall into our own rhythms, right? We, we have a way of working and often it's when we get that feedback that we do hear that, oh, you know what, I do need to make a decision. I think, and, and why I'm sort of smiling here early on in my career, I was thrust into a leadership role at the age of 26, uh, managing a multinational team and uh, you know, I had always heard, oh, it's best to, you know, let the group decide. Well, I had some excellent feedback from one of my team members that said, we need you to step it up, Jennifer. You know, and I, I realized, you know, there are times when as a leader, you need to, one, involve everyone. Very important. Very important. But there are other times when as a leader, you need to make a final decision. And if team dynamics are not working, that's a time where the team leader needs to step back and ask, what's going on here? And, you know, is there something else that's needed if the team is cycling into unproductive behavior, unproductive results? Because that's going to have a huge cost, right? If the team keeps doing this, who's the best place person to answer that? Is it the team leader? Is there someone else in the organization that the leader needs to loop in um, or other? Mm -hmm. And that's, that's true. Yeah, it's difficult to, I mean, to... Uh, to resolve that situation, because when the team is already like that, when the team is functioning uh, according to that simple um, social rules instead of technical mm -hmm. rules, then uh, it's difficult for a project manager, especially the new one, if the new one joins the team replacing the, the previous one, then uh, looking around, you just see that uh, that one big group is fighting against another small group. And then yes. you cannot, you know, you can, you don't want to become the victim of, of this fight. You want to somehow to control that situation. And then you just say, okay, do whatever you guys think. I see you're in the majority. So do what you say. And, um, and that's the instinct. And, and of course, this majority consists of people uh, where just a few of them are technically capable of really making the decisions. The rest mm -hmm. is just followers. They just, this herd instinct, they just join the biggest group join in. and, and yep. it's safer for them. And so that, that raises then a question too for the project manager. When does he or she need, um, you know, need their own sounding board? Things can get heated so quickly in a project team. And so how do we create those distance points, whether we have mentors or other, so that we can also become, you know, take as much of a neutral view on a situation to notice the patterns that are happening. 
because teams are very, you know, teams are an organism of an, in and of themselves, and they can cycle through these very negative patterns time and time and time again. And if we're too much in it, we may not see that happening, right? Because it's such a reactive environment. So I think for everyone, again, even in light of you only have one year in a role, <laughs> mm -hmm. we need to build in like micro, and I mean micro reflection points. I'm not talking days at a time. I'm talking windows of five, 10, 15 minutes, but to really take a step back regularly and ask, you know, what's happening here? What's working? What's not? You know, is this an organization team that I want to be part of a year from now? How is it, you know, how can I contribute? Is it time to move? Mm -hmm. And you know what I found, again, my personal experience, what I found as a cure for this situation where I just explained where people just, uh, you know, with the politics are uh, happening inside of, inside, instead of technical um, conflicts, I found out that the best way to resolve that is to define, uh, is to move people to the individual level to define mm. their personal individual motivational points and, and make them individually responsible for the overall result. In that case, they will stop thinking as a herd, as a big mm -hmm. group of people just running forward, not thinking about what's the right way, but of individuals where each of them will think for his own or her own self yeah. and fight for individual results. In that case, they will just not be able to, make, to, to build a pack and, and, and vote collectively. They will always vote individual. Yeah. Which is kind of goes against this team, team orientation. That's why. Well, I yes. And yes. And, you know, I think excellent teams are able to do more when they bring their best as individuals. You know, there's a bit of a fallacy thinking that like teams are just, are just teams. They all do the same thing. They're all responsible for the same thing. When in fact, team members are really clear on their roles, right? Individually, how does my work support my neighbor's work? How can I, you know, how do I need to show up so that they can be successful so that we all can be successful? So again, research-wise, you need to clearly define the goals, performance measures, roles, along with the vision, which as you said a while ago, you know, the vision may be too high level an issue to really orient people towards. As you think about your immediate project, who needs to do what, by when, and how are we all gonna know? And what happens if this milestone is not met? What's the implication for the entire team? And that to me is the individual side of teamwork, right? We're clear individually on what we each need to do so that overall we can be successful. Well, that's definitely true. That's that what you're saying is absolutely true. But in the majority of situations I've seen, uh, project managers are not capable of defining that motivation on a very precise level. What they can do is just can say, hey guys, we have a great vision, let's move on. Let's move forward, mm -hmm. let's, let's do it. And then that's it. So instead of you know, actually looking at how to motivate every individual person, how to put those motivational factors together so that the team becomes motivated, it's, it's a hard work, it's difficult to do. And project managers are sometimes too lazy, sometimes not, not competent enough. And, and that's why, according to my experience, projects fail a lot because of that. Yeah, and you know, just as you're, you're sharing this, mentioning this, I think this is where over time, right? Because I'm imagining it's not just the IT programmer that's moving every year. It's also those project managers. This is where 
building your leadership toolkit and really looking at how can you work, you know, skills in team leadership, skills in virtual team leadership, skills in helping people, you know, connect with their strengths so that we really can understand, you know, what's needed to make projects successful. And if our team is changing, it's likely we're going to be changing regularly as well. So getting into our own rhythm as leaders of, you know, understanding, okay, when I inherit this new team, or if I'm getting like jetted into this, this team that already exists, how do we work through the checklist? Are we clear on what needs to get done by when? Who's who on this team? What skills and strengths do they really bring? How are we different? And what's our common ground? So it is adding another layer, but I think against the backdrop of statistics and you know, context, uh, savvy project managers will continue to invest in their ongoing development, right? Continuous development has been a, a thing that's been talked about for years under many, many different layerings. You know, today it's like always be learning. 20 years ago, it was, you know, continuous development. <laughs> so yeah. teamwork, you know, virtual relationships, I think that's the other piece, working effectively cross-culturally and globally. That's a whole other layer on top of, on top of what we've been talking about today as well. Yeah, and you're absolutely right that even though one individual programmer moves to another company every year, but the entire team doesn't move that fast. So the team stays, and even though they will lose time to time some people, but overall group stays for way longer than, than, than a year. So definitely the team dynamics is, uh, has a much larger time perspective than, uh, than the time frame of one person working in the team. For sure, you know, and if we, we look back to the writings of Peter Senge back in the early 1990s, his whole body of work is around systems theory. And if you hold a team as a system, you know, the players can change, the people can change, but there's a team culture that gets built up over time. The team culture can be just what you've talked about today, or it can be something very different. And so it's really important, I think, for leaders to recognize that, yes, while you may be changing team composition, uh, there's a lot of important stuff to be focusing on in terms of, you know, what is the culture you want to create? Are people excited to do their work? Are they proud of doing their work? Are they getting well compensated, right? Because it is often the project manager that gets asked about these things from others in the organization. So lots of layers here to be looking at. And, um, uh, do you think we are uh, looking for some major changes in this area for the future? I mean, in the area of this uh, motivation and, and, and team, team dynamics, or what's the, what's the strategy? That's my question. So what's the strategy? You know, again, are we looking out 20 years again? <laughs> yeah, yeah try, let's try to look like, yeah, 10 years. Maybe. Yeah, you know, yeah. 10 years. I think, again, if we look at the immense amounts of change going on geopolitically uh, across the world, it's, you know, the context we operate within is changing every day. And that will change the way workplaces operate. So how do we... Uh, not only get our results done quicker, faster, and better, but hopefully how are people feeling supported in an environment? How are they feeling like they maybe can go against the grain once in a while, that they're safe to do that? Um, are they even getting exposed to others in an organization? You know, you talked about the herd mentality. Do, you know, I, of course I'm always going to align with, you know, Susie or Sujit if that's the only people I know and spend time with. 
Mm-hmm. Um, am I being, you know, provided opportunities to grow, be part of cross-functional teams, be part of virtual teams or special projects where I have to learn how to interface with others. And so again, if we look to other industries, much of that's been very commonplace for years because of budgetary reasons. So how are you also building cross-pollination opportunities so that, you know, if, if it's, if I have friends across all teams, who do I vote for now? <laughs> it's a little exactly. harder on that because exactly. you yeah. know more people. Mm-hmm. Well, sounds interesting. I think we are on the same page on the majority of questions. Uh, it, it, like I, I would like to summarize a little bit. So it's it's it takes uh, it, it it's it's difficult to align individual uh, motivation and problems and uh, and situations with the team situation and team objectives and team vision. And I think that's the that's the the brilliance of a project manager can be shown up exactly there in the ability to align those two things, what the team has to do versus what the, each individual wants to do. Yeah, right? really well said. You know, and and you know, I think brilliant project managers also recognize it comes down to the important one-on-one relationships, knowing your team, knowing what their drivers are helping them connect their motivation to the bigger picture appropriately. Just as you said, you know, if you're always talking about vision and that's not resonating with the team, you need to be bringing it down a level to be talking about goals and roles and, you know, tactical, practical project stuff. True. Yeah. All right. Sounds great. I was, uh, I really enjoyed the conversation. I took something from it. I hope our listeners will also take something important for them. Well, thank you, Yuri. And, you know, again, I think um, I appreciated it as well, just hearing about just the rapid pace of change. And uh, again, I hope as listeners listened in, they thought about the things that they they can affect change around. Um, So thank you for your time today. Absolutely. Thanks for for joining. Hope we see you again sometime. All right. Take care. Have a great day. Bye-bye.